Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. It's Pastor Julie, and we are in the middle of our series, Transformed, and I am so glad to be back in the pulpit um, since the death of my father. I'm I'm so grateful to Reverend Rob Townsend and Jennifer Burns for carrying on the series. Um, So we are in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11, and we are talking about a transformed will this morning. And Peter writes... Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same intention. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. So as to live for the rest of your earthly life, no longer by human desires, but by the will of God. You have already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation, and so they blaspheme. But they will have to give an accounting to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead, so that though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What comes to your mind when you hear the word will? For some, it may mean that final document that tells everyone who gets what when you die. Last will and testament. I suspect everyone hopes we may have some distant relative that unexpectedly leaves us a small fortune, or it may be we are seriously thinking about what we'll put in our will. But is this the definition of the will we're talking about today? See, when I hear the word will, I immediately think about willpower. Willpower is something I think most of us value, the ability to have self-control, determination, and drive, the resolve to do something we put our minds to, or at the very least, that self-discipline we long for in order to lose the weight or get in shape. I was watching some videos about extraordinary people who have overcome all odds, having a strong will to do something great. There was a young girl, nine years old, who had her leg amputated in a car accident, who tapped her willpower to learn how to dance again. 
There was a young man born with cerebral palsy who through sheer willpower worked and trained to be able to participate in the world champion Ironman race with his dad, and he did it. My own willpower, probably like yours, is always being tested. I'm a stress eater, and when I'm stressed, I really have to fight not to eat an entire box of cookies in one sitting. Temptation can have the name Thin Mints and Double Stuff Oreos for me. Most of the time, I am able to stand firm with my resolve to eat healthy foods and have sweets only in moderation with what I call my willpower, but it's not always easy. It takes discipline. <laughs> but the word can take on a whole new meaning when we read it in the Bible. What do you think about when you hear the phrase, will of God? What exactly does that mean for you? If you're like most people, the first thing you think is that whatever happens, it is what God wants to happen. God has planned it, whatever it is, and it is happening because it is his will, his good and perfect will, as Romans 12.2 reminds us. Some people take this to the extreme and believe that everything that happens throughout time is God's will, what God planned to happen. And some interpret God's will as what God wants to happen, even if human beings and the power of sin and evil in the world prevent it from happening that way, with the idea that there are two opposing wills running rampant in the world, God's will and the human will or the will given to us by our human nature the will of the world, as it were. And they're seen as being in opposition to one another because what God wants for us is usually not what human beings seem to want. God wants what is best for us, like eating healthy, for instance. But human nature is driven by temptation and wants to eat that whole box of cookies. As we walk through Lent, taking a deeper look at what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, it's good to take the time to reflect on how our human will, driven mostly by our wants and desires, acts in opposition to God's will, what God wants for our lives, and the transformation that takes place as God's will becomes our will. If anyone can teach us the difference between God's will and the human will, it's Peter. We meet Peter in the Gospels as Jesus calls him from his fishing nets to follow him. I think about that day a lot. This was the day that changed everything for Peter. No one can explain or even tries to explain why he just walked away from his life from his father and the family business, from his family, wife and kids and mother and his friends and just went with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying he denounced them or never saw them again, because that wouldn't be true. But his life among them was changed, or in the name of our ser sermon series, transformed. And his life among them became secondary to his life with Jesus. Yet, through all, all through his discipleship, Peter seems to go back and forth. One minute he's getting it, and the next minute Jesus is calling him out as missing the mark. The most famous example is when Jesus asks, 
who the disciples say he is. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is like, yay, Peter, you got it. And then the next minute, Peter's telling Jesus not to talk about dying. And he gets dressed down by Jesus, who says, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And here we go again. God's will set in opposition to the will of humankind and our sinful nature. And then when he sees Jesus walking on the water, as long as he is looking at Jesus, he too stands safely on the waves. But once he begins to look at the waves in the world, he begins to sink and needs to be saved. The question here is where are we looking? Where is our gaze? And what do we set our minds on? The things of God or the things of the world? In this letter to what Peter calls the diaspora, which are Christian communities scattered throughout what is known as Turkey today, Peter is writing to help them understand why they will be seen as different in their communities and how this will lead to persecution by the non-believers around them. And maybe you've experienced a small piece of this kind of persecution when someone has laughed at you for being kind to someone or mocked you because you chose not to drink at a party. Peter tells them that once they live like that, living for the moment, nothing out of bounds, and just going along with whatever the world says is okay at the moment. And and we see that too, skipping school in order to be with the cool kids, taking that pill, smoking that cigarette, drinking enough to get really drunk and then laughing about it later, taking money out of our parents' purse or wallet, shoplifting, or just spreading rumors about people in order to feel like you're important doing whatever it takes to make sure we have what we want, unconcerned about how we get it. I'm sure we can all look back and find something in our past that we've done that we knew was wrong at the time, but we did it anyway because the world seemed to egg us on in some way, and we wanted to fit in to be like everyone else. This is the definition of the will of the flesh, living according to human desires that Peter is talking about. And he says very clearly that the will, either the will of the world or the will of God, will be driving our lives. And that is seen in how we behave. He is also saying that once we put our faith in Christ, that will, the will that is driving us, is transformed that we are no longer driven by the will of human desires, but instead driven by the will of God. And we have a transformed will. So how do we get that transformed will? And what does that look like in our lives? And that's a very good question. As Peter reminds these new Christians to discipline themselves and be serious about their life of faith, it would be easy to conclude that it's something we do, or by willpower, choose not to do. There, there's a formula, some set of rules to follow that will get us there. However, the world has really drummed it into our heads that we are able, by sheer willpower, to take charge of our lives and just resolve to do what we consciously choose to do. But if we take a long, hard look at that lie, because that's what it is, 
we will find that although there are things we can accomplish by being stubborn or disciplining ourselves to get there, not a single one of us truly has the power to overcome all temptation, to overcome all the internal obstacles that keep us from living the life God has planned for us, or in other words, the will of God for our lives. Because if that were true, then we'd all be exercising just the right amount every day. That there wouldn't be a need for groups like AA or NA. There would certainly not be any prisons and no need for courts of any kind. As a society and as individuals, we are not the masters of our own lives, no matter how much we want to be or how much we want to believe that it's true. We fall into temptation all the time. Even when we work hard to do the right thing and the sin of pride puts it in our head that we can do all these things on our own, that we can do anything we put our minds to. What we have to decide in our lives is this. Are we going to submit to the will of human desire and sin or submit to the will of God? That's where we have the most control. And even then, it's a constant battle as the world continually tries to lead us away from what God wants for our lives. Peter struggled with this as he went back and forth between his faith in the world, being sure of who Jesus was, then denying him, walking on water, then sinking. Paul, the most fervent evangelist ever, admitted that he struggled too, saying in Romans 7 that he knows what he should do, but does the very opposite, that he does not even understand how that happens and that he needs to be saved from his own actions. So if these two pillars of the faith struggled with living in accordance to the will of God, is there any hope for you and me. Of course there is. Both Peter and Paul, good candy bar name by the way, acknowledge that without the grace of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, without Jesus taking all the sin of the world upon him and breaking the power of sin, they would have had no hope at all. If you remember the night he was arrested, he prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. He struggled with that battle too. Then he showed us what God's will was for all human beings everywhere. The love of God that gave us life. This is the will of God. And that life came when he broke the power of sin over us, giving us the ability to overcome temptation, the ability to say no to those terrible behaviors of the world that cause us harm and pain, the ability to love in every situation, to endure suffering, and to live an abundant life full of hope. The only thing we can do to get this power is to receive it by faith. You see, the will of God could be that things happen because God wants them to, that God has planned for them to happen. But I truly believe that it really is the last will and testament of Jesus who died on the cross for us. When he died, 
he left us the most amazing gift, the gift of grace. That is God's last will and testament. Grace says that no matter how many times we have succumbed to temptation, no matter how many awful things we might have done, no matter how many times we have failed to do the right thing and our own willpower has not stood its ground, no matter how many times we've just gone along with the world, God calls us his own, loves us where we are, just the way we are, and will never leave us or forsake us. The will of God is for us to be fully loved, fully protected from the evil of this world, living the best lives we can possibly live, having strength beyond what we could have on our own to endure anything that this world throws at us. We may not understand how following the ways of Christ will lead us to that best life, but God calls us to follow anyway, calling us his children, heirs of his grace. And God calls us to receive the gift he left us in his will, the power over sin and death, to be good stewards of that precious gift, maintaining constant love for one another. We can't do that without the power of the Spirit living in us, being hospitable to one another. We need God's power for that too, serving one another with the gifts that we have been given. It is the Spirit that gives us those gifts and nurtures them in each of us. The will of God is that we would recognize the grace that has been poured out for us in the death of Jesus Christ and by faith receive the power of that Holy Spirit living inside of us. When we have the power, not by our own resolve or determination or by human willpower, but by the grace of God to live the life that God wants us to have, the way that true disciples of Jesus Christ desire to live. We can choose to live in the world according to the will of our natural human desires, or we can allow the Spirit to transform our will and replace it with the will of God. How will we know which will is working in our lives? If we live according to the will of God, we will make our choices with our eyes on Jesus each and every time. The greatest commandment is to love God and our neighbor. Jesus said they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the key. Keeping our lives grounded in the word of God, staying connected to God through prayer, constant prayer, and being an encouraging, uplifting family of God as a church will show the world what it means to live according to the will of God. We will see it when we no longer entertain flirting with that married co-worker or dreaming about making it rich, when we get more joy out of a random act of kindness than buying the next great gadget, when we flinch at hearing a racist or sexist comment instead of laughing about it, when we really want to live how Jesus calls us to live instead of just going with the flow or the most current flavor of inappropriate behavior. 
Temptations will come. Setbacks will come. Peter reminds us we're never going to be perfect. Peter lets us know that the struggle will always be there and reminds us, and Paul reminds us, to put on the armor of God. Paul, Peter reminds us to pray. Both of them remind us that it's all about the grace of God, the love of our Savior, who by the perfect will of God walked to the cross so that we could be free. And as we walk to the cross this Lenten season, let us be reminded of God's last and lasting will and testament. His grace given to us that allows us to love one another, to be hospitable to one another, and to serve one another as if we are serving Christ himself. Let us be good stewards of this amazing gift of life. Let us set our minds on divine things and not on human things. Let us keep our eyes on Christ so that we too can say, not my will, but yours be done. Be transformed in God's good and perfect will for each and every one of us. Amen.